go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1 is where we are landing in God's Word this morning as over the last several weeks we've been on a journey through God's Word with one aim and that aim has been to see what God's Word says about itself. And then to let, let that be our, our guiding force behind how we live according to God's Word, right? And so we started with 2 Peter chapter 1. That was kind of our, our initial, our introductory sermon to this series, right? And there in 2 Peter chapter 1, we saw Peter's impassioned plea that God had given revelation of himself throughout history. And the purpose of this have been ultimately realized in the person of Jesus. And so from there, from Peter's words, we ventured back in our Bibles to our second sermon in this series where we were in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And there we saw Moses made it abundantly clear that God's word speaks with clarity. And then as we, we also looked in that same sermon as we were in Deuteronomy 30, we saw where Paul referenced Moses' words in Romans chapter 10. And there we saw that in Christ, God has given us all that we need to know him, meaning that God's word leaves us without self-justification. And then that brought us to last week where we ventured to 2 Samuel chapter 7, where we saw David's words and his, his desire to build a house for the Lord. And then the Lord laid out for him that he did not need David's attempts to build a house of cedar, but that what the Lord was at work doing was building for himself a house, a people for his own possession, his church. And so there in 2 Samuel, we saw how God's word clearly communicates his redemptive purposes that man may rightly worship him and how God's word calls us to right worship of him. So this morning, we find ourselves in Jeremiah. So we began our journey in 2 Peter, which pointed us back to the foundation of God's word in the past, right? Then we went through the law, the historical books, and now we're in the prophets. And so what I want us to see is the, the comprehensive way in which God's word speaks with clarity, as we saw from Deuteronomy 30. And this, how this transcends throughout God's word, that God's word speaks in a comprehensive way about itself and about the Lord. So as we went through the law, historical books, now the prophets, this gives us a, a comprehensive look and consistency at what God's word says about itself. And so today my aim is for all of us to walk away with an unwavering confidence in God's word as our foremost authority and with a steady assurance on the reliability of our Bibles. And we're going to touch on our Bibles and how we got what is in our hands uh, over the next couple of weeks. We'll just kind of scratch the surface of that today and next week we'll really dig into that. But uh, it, it is in defending the sufficiency of Scripture. Right, that we need to be prepared to give a defense for the hope that was in us. We see Peter say that as well. But we also know that in our day and time, in defending the sufficiency of Scripture in all things, we will inevitably run into opposition. And that opposition, whether it be from proclaimed believers or non-believers alike, the question which they invariably choose to discredit Scripture or attempt to discredit Scripture is that they question its authors. 
right? How can Scripture be perfect and infallible if it was written long ago by imperfect men who were simple goat farmers, right? So in an attempt to discredit the merit of Scripture, they engage in fallacy by belittling and attacking its authorship. Well, this morning, I want us to see the grace of God evident in giving us a flawless representation of His character through His chosen and flawed servants. All right, so we're in Jeremiah chapter 1. I'll ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word once again. And so we start in verse 4. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you. But they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. This is the word of God. God. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word now, let us come hungry and leave full. God, let us come eager to see how you have preserved your word throughout history to this day that you are with your word to perform it. Let us leave here full of confidence and hope, not in ourselves or or what we can gain, but in your word and its sure truth that it provides us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We may be seated, church. So, we have here the call of Jeremiah. And in this call, the Lord tasks Jeremiah with delivering a message of conviction and repentance. 
to the southern nation of Judah. You see, at this time, the kingdom has been split and the northern kingdom has been captured by Assyria. And judging by Jeremiah's timeline, all this takes place around 627 B.C. And Jeremiah goes on from this point to preach for over 40 years. Some of that timeline overlapping with the events that we see in the book of Daniel. It's kind of what the Lord is referring to there in those last few verses that we read. Now the Lord tasked Jeremiah with making the people aware of their sinfulness in light of God's faithfulness, warning them that their fate is soon to be the same as Israel if they do not repent and trust in the Lord. So he's saying, I've tasked you to deliver this message to Judah, warning them that if they continue as Israel has, they too will fall. So God, in the complete act of grace, sends Jeremiah. You see, this is what we see throughout God's word time and again, that God provides his word as an act of grace to his people to warn them, to convict of sin, to guide them, to provide them the path to life. And so God sends Jeremiah to speak directly to the heart of the people, to remind them of how good their God is and to help them realize the sinfulness of their own hearts. You see, not just in this story, but throughout all of Scripture, we are shown that our sin is not simply a list of our bad deeds because those actions overflow from a heart that has been infected with sin. And this is the message which Jeremiah is tasked with delivering to Judah. Repent and turn back to God. And so we start in verse 4 with Jeremiah's call. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So this verse obviously brings about the principle of God's knowing of all those whom he brings to life and all those who he calls according to his purpose. So we have this scene here that mirrors God's calling to Moses out of a burning bush. Right to proclaim his name to his people and free them. And Jeremiah receives this call from the Lord that reveals God's sovereignty and foreknowledge as well as Jeremiah's purpose and message. This verse clearly indicates God's all-knowing of life that he brings and the sanctity of life that is so attacked in our day and belittled for means of convenience. But here we see God calling Jeremiah and telling him that he has called him not simply on a whim, but indeed this is the very reason why he created him. This is the purpose with which he brought forth his life. See, this reveals much more than just knowing of Jeremiah. Rather, his foreknowledge establishes his relationship between God and those whom he chooses. This is so much more than God simply just knowing the future, knowing that Jeremiah would come, but this is God's purposing of Jeremiah. This gives us insight into God's purposing all things, all things in the future for his design that ultimately comes to fruition, as we'll see God's purposing Jeremiah ultimately comes to fruition in Christ and his church and the message that Jeremiah is to deliver. 
We see this in 1 Peter chapter 1. We see Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And Peter goes on to say this in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we see in God's foreknowledge is not limited here to just Jeremiah. But the God's foreknowledge extends to all those whom he calls according to his purpose and how he is structuring all things according to his purpose to bring himself glory. And that is ultimately realized in the person of Christ. And as we'll see a little bit later, that is ultimately where Jeremiah points as well. So right off the bat, the first thing I want us to take note of from Jeremiah's calling, hopefully you have an outline. If not, just jot down in your notes or type it out on your phone, but the answer will be on the screen behind me. But the first thing I want us to take note of from Jeremiah's calling is that God ordains his word. God ordains his word. And this goes for his word in its entirety. What you have in your hands is not something that was brought forth by careful, cunning plans of man or happenstance, but that God ordains his word and it goes forth according to his purpose and according to his timeline. As we look throughout the history of God's word, we see this consistent truth that man is not the captain of God's word. Rather, he's the vessel which God chooses to communicate his word. We see God himself speak to those whom he ordains to then carry his word to his people. We saw this in Deuteronomy with Moses and Joshua. We saw this in therefore then last week in 2 Samuel through David and then on through Solomon. And ultimately, this all continually points to the same place with consistency to Christ, the Word made flesh. So, when considering, why, we see God Himself speak to those whom we ordain. So, why is this an important note? Why is this important for us to, to mark or take note of? Because when considering the authorship of Scripture, we must recognize that God is always in control of His Word. He ordains it. He's the one who brings it forth from his mouth. He is the one who brings it to the heart of man. We see God himself speak. He alone ordains where it goes and what it accomplishes and to whom it is communicated. God's word is exactly that. His. Right? So this gives us a baseline upon which to judge those who would have us think that they speak on behalf of God. That if they indeed speak on behalf of God, then they cannot con contradict or come in conflict with what God has already spoken. Because God's word does not go forth haphazardly, but it is complete and in complete consistency with itself and with God's character. Therefore, whether it be Kenneth Copeland or Jesse Duplantis or Stephen Furtick, 
any talking head that would have us think that they speak the words of God, they must be judged by God's word. Just as we read in 2 Peter chapter 1 when we started this series, knowing this, first of all, Peter says, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God alone ordains the communication of his word. He ordains the means, the method, the audience, the application of his word. Therefore, church, we would do well to follow God's word alone rather than the will and the words of man. The great paradox here is that God has ordained his powerful and perfect word to be spoken through those which his word deems as flawed. And yet here in this paradox, we see the light of God's grace shine ever brighter. Let's continue reading. Verse 6. Then I said, this is Jeremiah speaking, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. So again, similar to Moses' call, where Moses says, I, I can't speak, I, I'm tired of the tongue, I, I, I don't have the ability to stand in front of people. He, he gives this list of reasons. Every reason that Moses gives, God thwarts and says that he's provided and he'll give an, an answer to, right? So after having just been told by God himself, Jeremiah's just been told by God himself that he has not just called him to proclaim his word on a whim, but that this is the very purpose that he has been created for in his mother's womb. And Jeremiah's response, similar to Moses, Jeremiah says, uh, responds not only doubting himself, but he's also obviously doubting the truthfulness of God's word. Because what did God say? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nation. So God has said, this is what is going to happen. This is my plan. And Jeremiah says, nope, no, you got the wrong guy. I'm too young. That's Jeremiah's excuse. So Jeremiah not only doubts himself, but he doubts what God has just said is going to happen. He doubts God's faithfulness and provision to provide for his word. It's incredibly difficult to actually determine Jeremiah's age here. However, the word that Jeremiah uses to describe himself is na'ar, which indicates that he's a teenager still in the care of his parents, which is why you know, we use the word youth there. It's a word that has not been in existence for very long in our English language, but it perfectly captures kind of that stage of life that Jeremiah is in. So Jeremiah is problem is he can't get through the practical nature of what God is saying. Because in Jeremiah's mind, he's unqualified, undereducated, and unable to speak in authority over anyone. However, Jeremiah forgets the truth what God, which God has just shown him. That because God ordains the communication of his word, he ordains every detail of that communication. The means, the method, the timing, Though we may wish, church, that God would speak to us through a burning bush, 
like Moses or directly talk to us like we see with so many patriarchs throughout God's word. That is not how God has ordained his word to be spoken for us in this day and time. Therefore, that is not how his word is, will be properly communicated because God ordains his word. So this is why we should exercise extreme caution when we hear people using that phrase, God told me, or I have a word from God, or using phrases like that. This is what the author of Hebrews tells us in a verse that we also looked at last week, Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also he created the world. So God ordains his word in all respects. The means, the method, and the time. So what the author of Hebrews is telling us there is that God spoke in this way then, but now we have the person of Christ who has been given to us. And so that is where God is speaking from now. God ordains his word in all respects. Yet time after time we see those to whom and through whom God speaks fall short and express doubt and worry and live in the flesh. Just like Jeremiah here. I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. Moses, I can't speak. What am I going to say if I go to them? How am I going to, who, who do I tell them sent me? So what do the shortcomings of the biblical authors have to teach us? That we have a flawless word conveyed through flawed men. We don't hide from that fact. We don't, we don't elevate these people to sainthood to, to somehow um, cover up for their flaws. But this, in fact, reveals the power and the mercy and the grace of God to use flawed men to convey his flawless word. We do not shrink away from or hide from this fact. Throughout history, God has chosen those through whom he, whom he would share his word. And he's spoken to them in many ways. He is the one who intentionally set these men as the authors of his word. There's no qualification test that they completed, no program for them to go to, no set of criteria that they could meet or would meet. There was no pursuing that as a choice. I want to be a biblical author one day, right? It's not, there wasn't any of that. God spoke they obeyed. And sometimes they didn't obey. But that was part of the story. Now we must apply Scripture consistently and we must use the rules which we have already set forth. God's Word does not contradict itself and the only thing which we can judge Scripture against is Scripture itself. So we must grow weary when we hear people attempting to speak on behalf of God but so clearly going against or talking about things which God's word does not speak to. We continue, verse 7. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. 
for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. The truth that the Lord points Jeremiah to in this moment is that Jeremiah's fears are thwarted in the reality of God's transcendence. That God has spoken it, so it will be. That he has said it will come to pass, so it will come to pass. And therefore, Jeremiah has nothing to fear. God does not just send forth his word, call his servants, nor lay out his law, set things in motion only to walk away and to see what happens. No, 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 no. He wants Jeremiah to realize that in giving him his word, he is promising his presence. That he is with his word. And that is the next point there on your outline, that God is present with his word. How can we have the utmost confidence in the word that we hold here in our hands? How can we have assurance of God's word knowing that it was delivered through flawed men? We can have the utmost confidence because from the creation of the cosmos, when God said, let there be, God has been present with his word to perform it. Where do you go for comfort, church? Where do you go for peace, for hope, for strength, for wisdom? All these things have been provided us in abundance in God's word. The very word which he is present with and faithful to perform. As we continue reading there, verse 9. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. So the Lord destroys Jeremiah's excuse by literally and physically putting his words in Jeremiah's mouth. In other words, oh, oh, you're scared even though I just told you I'm with you and created you for this purpose? Oh, you feel unqualified and unprepared? Here you go. Just as I said, my word is with you. It is in your mouth. Jeremiah had no need to fear at this point because the Lord has destroyed every excuse. No need to fear where to go. Why? Because the Lord has said, I am with you. And the Lord has said, where he is to go. So he doesn't have to worry about where he's supposed to go. The Lord's told him where to go. He doesn't have to fear if he's by himself. Why? Because the Lord has said, I am with you. He doesn't have to fear what to say. Why? Because the Lord has literally put his words in his mouth. Church, what we need to realize is that he has provided us with the same. So why do we find it so difficult to talk to our one about the gospel? Why do we become so overwhelmed with anxiety at the thought of stepping out on mission? Why do we think that we, we can't possibly have the right words to say? Christ has promised us his presence always and has given us his word that we might know him and make him known to others and point others to his word. You see, what Jeremiah is coming to grips with here and God putting his words in his mouth is the next point there, that God's word qualifies the speech of his servants. 
It's not the illustrious nature with which they speak. It's not their abilities, their intellect, their status in the societies in which they come, although there's many in our day that would have us think that. It's God's word that qualifies the speech of his servants, not anything that they are capable of or, for that matter, as Jeremiah's fact, incapable of doing. The role of the modern-day pastor, the position that the office that the Lord has called me to stand in, is most akin to that of the Old Testament prophet, called in a specific place and time to deliver God's word to God's people and lead them in obedience to it. However, the major difference is not to be overlooked, as it so often is, because the Old Testament prophet spoke in many ways, as God spoke to them in many ways. But for the modern-day pastor, God has spoken in one way, through Scripture. Therefore, it is my job and calling not to present to you some new revelation or a word from the Lord, which He's given me the minute before I step on stage, But my job is to provide and point us to the given revelation of God's Word. This is why we must, again, use extreme caution in those who we listen to. When they use that word, God told me. That's a red flag. God is with His Word to perform it, and God ordains every word of His which goes forth. Therefore... What those people are saying is that they are speaking new revelation, new scripture. However, most times when you weigh out what they prophesy, it's not in line with the rest of God's word. I once had someone prophesy that I would work in children's ministry. Here I stand, all right? So these same folks would have us think that they're saying that what they're saying is more important and more relevant than what God has already spoken. They emphasize new revelation over God's word. They'll stand on a stage having proclaimed to have all this stuff prepared. Hours spent with the Lord pouring over the scripture. And then God told me just to throw it away right before and preach something else. And that's when the crowd will think, oh, this is, this is the good stuff. They'll do this as a cheap trick to make whatever they say seem super holy and super spiritual as well as puff themselves up because God's given them the special word. This other stuff is just kind of, that's the regular stuff, right? God's given them the real, real word. Beware. Long ago, in many ways, in different times, God spoke, but now he has given us revelation through his son. So Jeremiah continues to give us revelation of what the Lord told him. This is consistent with what, how the Lord was speaking at this time. Verse 11. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. And the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. This is one of the most powerful interplays here in this, in this entire interaction. Not only because of that, that last sentence there the Lord says in verse 12, that it just rings so true to what we're talking about here, that I'm watching over my word to perform it. But there's a poetic wordplay here 
starting there in verse 11. It's hard to catch in English. So there existed a saying in uh, this culture that the almond branch watched for spring because the almond branch was the first tree to bloom whenever spring had come, right? So the, the, the saying was that the almond branch watched for spring, okay? So that when you saw the almond branch bloom, you knew spring was coming. So the word here for almond branch is shaked, right? That's the word here for almond branch. The word that God then uses for watching over his word is shoked, right? You see the closeness between the two? So therefore, what God tells Jeremiah here is that he is correctly seen for just as the almond branch watches for spring, so the Lord watches over his word to perform it at just the right time. And this so beautifully portrays the structure and purpose with which God acts and carry out, carries out his word. He said, I, I, before uh, I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I brought you forth in this time to deliver this word to my people. And I am with this word to perform it. The very word by which he created order and structure and purpose. You see, church, God's word beautifully portrays his character. And this, using this poetic wordplay, the Lord beautifully portrays his character of knowing Jeremiah, knowing his people, and that he is delivering it at this time by his grace for his purposes. This is, of course why those who would oppose God's word or denigrate its sufficiency and reliability are consistently unable to take off the blinders and to see God's word for the incredible gift that it is. The human mind wants to naturally think in human terms, especially the mind that has been blinded by the God of this world. The mind that sits controlled by the God of this world finds it altogether difficult to grasp the transcendent wisdom of God displayed in the preservation of his word over time. Therefore, they mock God by attempting to discredit his word. So, as the Lord beautifully portrays himself here and uses this interplay, he, he then gives Jeremiah a glimpse as to what this message contains. We already kind of summarized some of it and we, we read it a while ago, but verse 13 the word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And so this is where the Lord reveals to Jeremiah the hard message which he has to deliver. And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls, all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them, for all their evil is forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worship the work of their own hands. But this is what... God tells Jeremiah in the midst of this, verse 17, But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. 
So the warning is also for Jeremiah that if he walks in disobedience to God's word and doesn't follow God's command, the very purpose for which he has been created, that this too awaits him. He'll be right along with that. But verse 18, and I behold, I make you this day a fortified city. So if he's obedient to, to proclaim God's word and to, to tell God's word as he has been commanded, then God will protect him. He is with him. An iron pillar, bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you. So he's been warned that this message that you're getting ready to deliver is not going to be well received. It's not going to be a fun one. But they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Jeremiah would go on to, as I said at the beginning, he would preach for 40 years. During that 40 years, he was beaten, mocked, He was thrown into a dry cistern and left and mocked while he was in there. He was forcibly taken from his homeland and and moved to Egypt. He went to preach to his hometown this message that the Lord had given him. And they beat him and left him for dead. Forty years, not a single person showed repentance to the message that Jeremiah delivered and that the Lord told him to deliver. But you see, the Lord preserved his word. Because as Jeremiah delivered this message, he, the Lord helped him through every single one of the situations. And time and again, Jeremiah would beg the Lord to take this away from him, to, to rescue him, to, to, to leave this responsibility from him. But what does Jeremiah say in chapter 33? Turn to chapter 33 real quick. So as we said, that... Uh, long ago, many times, many ways, the Lord spoke to the prophets. And Peter also says there in 2 Peter, but now we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 14. The Lord is promising here peace. He says here in verse 14, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, Jerusalem will dwell securely, and this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. This is the words, Lord, through Jeremiah. Referencing back to what we saw last week, to the Davidic covenant, and referencing a course forward, which is realized fully in the person of Christ. See, our final point on your outline this morning is that God's word is consistent. God's word is consistent. Because just as he told Jeremiah, I am with my word to perform it. Sure, not one 
convert was made. Not one person showed repentance at Jeremiah's preaching, but the message, the word that Jeremiah delivered is that one was coming to whom everyone would bow, and that was Christ. On January 1st, 1519, a 35-year-old Swiss pastor named Holdrich Zwingli shocked his congregation in Zurich and he shocked them not by preach he shocked them by not preaching from that day's prescribed lectionary but by preaching through the gospel of Matthew verse by verse Zwingli had become convicted by the church's hiding God's word behind prescribed readings and language barrier what spurred Zwingli's conviction he drank deep from God's word he relied on Erasmus's 1516 Greek New Testament which I mentioned in week one and Zwingli memorized all of Paul's epistles and Zwingli emphatically stated that we must set aside all human teachings and learn the doctrine of God directly from his own word Zwingli insisted that no one must be without their own copy of the Bible. Just another example of the Lord preserving His Word that His people may know His Word and do it. As we continue next week, we'll dive more into how we got the Bible that we have, but now I want us to see today the Lord's, that the Lord is with His Word, that the Lord's Word is consistent, and He's with His Word to perform it as it reflects His character. Let's pray, church. God, we love you. As we consider this word now, may we stand or sit in awe of all that you have done in giving us revelation of yourself through your word. Help us, Lord, to not take for granted all that you have accomplished in providing us this word. Not only all that has been accomplished here, but all that has been accomplished from here in the, the recent, the more recent history of the Reformation that you preserved your word through the thwarting attempts of men and the enemy to make your word known now. So let us live in obedience to it. May we treasure and may it alone be our sole authority. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.